PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. This podcast is sponsored by Therapy Source. Therapy Source is a therapy practice management software solution used by the majority of all large physical therapy chains in the U.S. It is a scalable solution for small clinics with integrated electronic medical records, scheduling, registration, clinical documentation, billing, and revenue cycle management. For more information, visit www.sourcemed.net. Welcome to PTJ's The Bottom Line for April 2011. I'm Donovan Stutel, along with Dave Corboisier. Bottom Lines translate the findings of selected research articles for clinical practice. Bottom Lines are not intended to substitute for a critical reading of the original articles. These Bottom Lines were written by the authors of their respective articles. Our first Bottom Line summarizes Agility and Perturbation Training Techniques in Exercise Therapy for Reducing Pain and Improving Function in People with Knee Osteoarthritis a randomized clinical trial by Dr. G. Kelly Fitzgerald, Dr. Sarah Piva, Dr. Alexandra Gill, Dr. Stephen Wisniewski, Dr. Chester Otis, and Dr. James Ergang. First, what do we already know about this topic? Agility and perturbation training, when added to standard exercise programs, has helped improve the outcome for young athletes who sustained an anterior cruciate ligament injury. One case report suggests that this approach also might improve the effects of therapeutic exercise in a person with knee osteoarthritis. What new information does this study offer? This study tested whether adding agility and perturbation training to a standard exercise program could provide additional improvements in function and knee stability in patients with knee osteoarthritis. Although participants in both groups appeared to improve in self-reported physical function, there did not appear to be an additive effect of the agility and perturbation training program. If you're a patient, what might these findings mean for you? If you have knee osteoarthritis, adding agility and perturbation training techniques to your therapeutic exercise program may or may not increase the benefits of therapy. More work is needed to determine which patients may benefit from this approach. Our next bottom line summarizes association of biopsychosocial factors with degree of slump in sitting posture and self-report of back pain in adolescents, a cross-sectional study by Dr. Peter O'Sullivan, Dr. Ann Smith, Dr. Darren Beals, and Dr. Leon Straker. What do we already know about this topic? It is commonly assumed that slump in sitting posture is associated with back pain. Upright sitting posture is frequently advocated by parents and physical therapists in the management of back pain disorders. However, to date, few studies have investigated which factors are associated with slump in sitting posture in adolescents and whether this posture is associated with back pain. What new information does this study offer? This study highlights that slump in sitting postures is most associated with being male, having non-neutral standing postures, having poor self-efficacy, watching more television, and having a higher body mass index. Psychological factors had a greater association than posture with reports of back pain in sitting. If you're a patient, what might these findings mean for you? If your child sits in a slumped posture, it may not be enough to tell him or her to sit up. The study's findings suggest that you may need to address lifestyle, psychosocial, and other factors such as male sex, poor self-efficacy, watching too much television, and being overweight. 
Our next bottom line summarizes predictors of response to physical therapy intervention in patients with primary hip osteoarthritis by Dr. Alexis Wright, Dr. Chad Cook, Dr. Timothy Flynn, Dr. G. David Baxter, and to Dr. J. Haxby Abbott. What do we already know about this topic? Literature regarding the ability to differentiate between patients with a more favorable prognosis and those with a poor prognosis has focused on demographic and radiological findings. Only a few studies have investigated common clinical tests and measures associated with the progression of hip osteoarthritis. What new information does this study offer? This is the first study to identify variables associated with a favorable response to physical therapy treatment in patients with hip osteoarthritis. If you're a patient, what might these findings mean for you? Given that the strongest single predictor of success with physical therapy was symptom duration of less than one year, patients are encouraged to seek physical therapy treatment early in the disease process, rather than waiting until it has reached more advanced stages when the disease may be less responsive to conservative treatments. Our next bottom line summarizes fear avoidance beliefs are associated with disability in older American adults with low back pain by Dr. J. Megan Sions and Dr. Gregory Hicks. What do we already know about this topic? Psychosocial risk factors such as heightened fear avoidance beliefs are key factors in the perpetuation of low back pain and low back pain-related disability in younger adults but the significance of these risk factors in older American adults remains unknown. What new information does this study offer? Elevated fear avoidance beliefs were associated with greater low back pain-related disability, worse physical health, and greater odds of having fallen in older American adults. If you're a patient, what might these findings mean for you? When receiving treatment for low back pain, you should be aware that fear of further injury may cause you to avoid certain movements or activities which can lead to worse outcomes in the long run. Further research will be necessary to determine whether treatment strategies designed to address elevated fear will be effective in decreasing disability, improving physical health, and decreasing falls in older adults with low back pain. Our next bottom line summarizes... Managing Chronic Nonspecific Low Back Pain with a Sensory Motor Retraining Approach, an Exploratory Multiple Baseline Study of Three Participants by Dr. Benedict Wand, Neil O'Connell, Flavia Di Pietro, and Dr. Max Bolsara. What do we already know about this topic? People with chronic nonspecific low back pain display alterations in brain structure and function. Some evidence suggests that these changes may play an important role in how people experience chronic, nonspecific low back pain. Other chronic pain problems that are characterized by brain changes have responded favorably to rehabilitation approaches that target the brain. What new information does this study offer? A small group of people with chronic, nonspecific low back pain whose problem had been resistant to multiple forms of treatment markedly improved their clinical status while participating in a program that explicitly targeted cortical dysfunction. If you're a patient, what might these findings mean for you? The findings of this study are preliminary and should be treated with caution. 
They suggest that a new approach to treatment of chronic, nonspecific low back pain might offer benefits for a problem for which current management has had only limited success. Additional rigorously controlled studies are needed to verify these results. Our next bottom line summarizes the sit-to-stand movement, differences in performance between patients after primary total hip arthroplasty and revision total hip arthroplasty with acetabular bone impaction grafting by Dr. Miranda Boonstra, Dr. B. Vim Schurz, and Dr. Nico Frendenschot. What do we already know about this topic? Total hip replacement is a very successful operation. However, when one or more components of the original hip replacement need to be revised, the functional recovery of patients after the revision surgery often is considered to be inferior. What new information does this study offer? In a small sample of patients who had the impaction bone grafting technique as a revision technique, the ability to move from sitting to standing after the revision can be very similar to those patients who received a primary total hip replacement. If you're a patient, what might these findings mean for you? These preliminary results suggest that the impaction bone grafting revision technique is a successful technique to help patients with failed total hip replacements regain their ability to stand. Our last bottom line summarizes Validation of the Treadmill 6-Minute Walk Test in People Following Cardiac Surgery by Luigi Olper, Paolo Cervi, Francesca De Santi, Dr. Carlo Meloni, and Roberto Gatti. What do we already know about this topic? The 6-Minute Walk Test performed on a treadmill has some practical advantages over the traditional 6-Minute Walk Test. However, the validity and the reliability associated with the treadmill 6-minute walk test have been analyzed only in a few studies, and its psychometric qualities in people after cardiac surgery have not been studied. What new information does this study offer? This study showed that the treadmill 6-minute walk test is well-tolerated, has adequate concurrent validity, and has similar responsiveness as the traditional 6-minute walk test. If you're a patient... What might these findings mean for you? Exercise capacity in people after cardiac surgery can be assessed with the treadmill 6-minute walk test in clinics that do not have a long corridor free from obstacles or when closer monitoring is needed. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net. We always appreciate your feedback. You can email ptj at scienceaudio.net or leave a voicemail at 626-593-7825.